Why has this guy decided to meet with you at an airport? Because the only way you meet with these people, you can provide a service that they need. Why you? Like, why? What is it about what your message was? Because or I, what your idea was um, that made them want to tell you some top secret shit that they've tried to keep away from the American people. Well, I mean, you take a guy who's like a big celebrity who's in a huge rock band like you because you're famous or because you know things no because i have a service so it's not a, it sounds easy when you play it like that but it's a what, service a service like what can you do for them okay that they need help with and, and what could you do communication i wouldn't say spokesperson role communication I, a, role a communication role it makes more so sense. they would give some information to you and you would get it out to people i'm not going to really get into that here i can't say who they were but i want to get into that kind of stuff if you don't mind i just can't tell you who it's from you know i can't really get into now because of the positions and the things i'm involved with okay and a few other things that i want to get into and i can't tell you some of the shit that i know and some others i can't tell you about obviously that's the shit i can't tell you damn it was all this i can't tell you stuff in the back room Hope it's not the creatures from above You used to read me stories as if my dreams were boring We all know conspiracies are dumb What if people knew that these were real Closet door open all night I know the CIA would say What you hear is all hearsay Wish someone would tell me what was right Life.
little green men and men in black. Zero-point energy or directed energy weapon attacks, UFOs and UAEs, Anunnaki, and Nephilim. The truth is out there, or so they say, and by that I mean the Pentagon and CIA. DeLong says aliens exist, and maybe they do. But what if DeLong's the alien, dude? That is a little poem that I worked really hard on for all of two minutes, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that. But today, we have a very fun subject to talk about. My name's Luke Marshall, this is Things Observed, and we are going to be talking about Tom DeLong and To The Stars Academy, and whether or not this is legit alien disclosure, or if this is something else, maybe some sort of psyop. And we have a lot of ground to cover. This could all end up being one episode, but it's more likely to be two or even three episodes. So we'll just see how much ground we cover, and we'll just go from there. But I'm very, very excited about what we're talking about today, and I think that there's going to be a lot of crossover with some stuff that you guys have probably already heard about um, and we're gonna be introduced to a whole cast of interesting characters some of which you may know many of which you probably don't know because there's not really any good reason for you to to know about them if you haven't looked into this subject but without further ado let's get into the subject so Tom DeLong, he was the one of the front men of Blink-182, very big band, a band that I personally enjoyed when I was a young man, and I think that a lot of young people, a lot of young angsty people enjoyed Blink-182, and some of the most annoying adults are still really into Blink-182, but Let's just talk a little bit about Tom DeLonge because he's kind of going to be the focus. He's going to be the person who brings all these other people into his orbit and who's going to start To The Stars Academy. So who was Tom DeLonge? Who is Tom DeLonge? He's not dead. Who is Tom DeLonge? Well, he was born on December 13th of 1975 in Poway, California. And he was the son of an oil company executive and a mortgage broker. And he grew up playing guitar and skateboarding. And in 1992, he would form Blink-182 along with Mark Hoppus and Scott Rayner, who was the initial drummer before Travis Barker came into the picture. And in 1996, they would sign to MCA Records, and DeLong would quit this construction job that he was working and that he hated with a passion. Can't blame him. I don't think I would fit well in the construction scene. But the band would have tremendous success starting in the late 90s and up until 2004 when various drama led DeLong to leave the band. And he would form the band Angels and Airwaves get a bit of a Vicodin addiction because that's what you do when you're a rock star and for a cool minute he would just kind of be doing his angel and airwaves things and taking Vicodin but he would reunite with Blink-182 in 2008 after Travis Barker survived a plane crash that killed four other people 
and this kind of was an impetus for DeLong to reunite with Blink-182, and then he would again leave the band in 2015 and embark on his Alien Odyssey, which is the topic of this episode. And as I stated earlier, I was a big Blink-182 fan for a while growing up, And I remember in 2015 when he quit the band in order to go search for UFOs. And uh, I remember this being a bit of a news story. And I remember it coming up in conversation with some of my friends and seeing some articles about it and whatnot. So it definitely made a bit of a splash whenever he got interested in all this UFO business. But what some people may not realize is that he didn't just all of a sudden, you know, get the UFO bug, but he had been interested in aliens and all of this for pretty much the course of his entire life. And it would just be in 2015 when he would begin to dedicate his life to disclosure and would start the media company to the stars, which eventually would be incorporated into to the stars Academy of Art and Sciences. And we will get way deeper into the Stars Academy, but for just a brief little bit, we will talk about Tom DeLonge and uh, his lifelong obsession with aliens. And let's start first with playing a clip from the early 2000s, presumably after he had already created the song Aliens Exist, which we opened up this episode with, and DeLonge would share a story so let's listen to this clip really quick hey dude so uh oh shit you want to get me started on ufos but just that one story (laughs) all right well i have a friend that's been uh working to out like the secrecy of ufos for like 10 years and uh i met up with him on the east coast and i asked him what he was doing, wondering if there's anything I could do to help or whatever, and he, he spent 10 years filming, like, over 500 top-secret witnesses that work for the government. And uh, they all work for, like, you know, uh, everywhere from CIA to Lockheed Martin to Boeing Corporation to uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the NSA, and the NRO, these are all like spy agencies and stuff, and all these people are talking and they're on camera because they understand that this videotape is what's going to get them to be able to testify in front of Congress. And so they're all talking about a lot of things about aliens and UFOs from people that were in charge of like our whole nuclear uh, missile inventory. They were in char- people that worked at like NORAD and all this stuff. And this one guy's talking because he, he used to work for... Uh, the Air Force, uh, and they're called the Blue Berets, and they work for a nuclear, like, cleanup task force. And so they get these pages, and they'd fly all over the Earth, and if there was, like, a nuclear warhead that's leaking or something's going wrong, they were the only ones that had top-secret clearance high enough to, like, fix our, and contain the area where our own nuclear weapons are, because, like, no one's allowed to see them. But he was one of a few people that would get his page, and they'd fly across wherever, the you know, the continent or whatever, and they would land, and... Instead of there being like a, a nuclear warhead, there would be like a crashed UFO and alien bodies and stuff. And he was on this crash retrieval team and he talks about all these stories that he used to um, get bodies and, and the actual hardware. And he was the one that was responsible for make sure, make sure it gets shipped down to like Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and to, 
to the Nevada test range where Area 51 is and stuff. And he talks of another time where he was in the Pentagon. This is the story you want to hear. Where he's at the Pentagon and, uh, and his boss comes into him takes, and takes him into a, a certain area where they go down these stairs to an elevator. Go down the elevator about, he's probably like six or seven stories underneath the Pentagon. They got out and they walked down this big long white tunnel and they walk down that, they get in this uh, little car and the car goes, he didn't say, he said it went like really fast for like, I think 20 minutes underground. They get out and they walk through another white tunnel and, uh, and his boss looked at him and said, uh, said something, he said something like, things aren't always like as they seem or something. It sounds like a movie, but this, this guy is like testifying on camera. And, and pushes him through these two double doors. And at that time, he's going, why is this guy fucking around? It's actually kind of probably, you know, it's making me mad. That's what I think he was thinking. But he fell this time after he kind of pushed him. And he got up, and then he saw, like, this desk. And he saw two military officers. And, and right in the middle on this desk was this little short human being-looking type of thing with bigger black eyes. And he said instantly, every uh, like a little bit of emotion, fear, pain, like happiness, everything came out at the exact same time. And, uh, and I don't know, and then he woke up in his boss's office and his boss was trying to make him say, you know, say that it never happened. But uh, he did that and has spent his whole career, career working with like these beings and stuff and he's testifying on camera. Fuck, I should take you into another room and show you my little collection of UFO books and videos. The testimonies of all the people on these tapes here. And all the people on those tapes comprise like, there's 136 hours of interviews of people testifying about their jobs that dealt with aliens in the military. My rad like books on uh, the secret architecture of our nation's capital. The whole thing's set up, it's all creepy, it's weird. I have the JFK assassination book. The CIA. And the mob killed one of the best presidents of all time. I have it in this book. It's crazy. Can you believe it? I know so. How do you Evidence know? is there, dude. Give me two pieces of evidence. Two pieces of evidence? Yeah. That his brain was missing when he went to the, the hospital. And then the, the doctors weren't allowed to do any kind of like weird uh, examinations because the general shut him down. You know why? Because there's other bullet holes in the guy's body because there's more than one shooter. It's crazy. They talk about everything. The architects of the underworld, it's all about the monuments and pyramids on Mars and the mathematical geometrical shapes and the... All, see, there's all these pyramids and stuff on Mars and they make all these weird, like, angles and stuff, but those angles are the key to tetrahedral physics. And once you understand the science of that, that's the secret to space travel and time travel. And what's even more interesting, the big defense contractor that does all the UFO stuff, like for the military and, and the government, is in La Jolla. And out in front of their building, they have two eight-foot-tall Egyptian statues. And one is holding a pyramid in his hand, and it says the past. And one's holding a pyramid in his hand, and it says the future. And they're big bronze statues in front of, of this company. And this company, I have on one of these tapes, a girl testifying how they put billions of dollars or millions of dollars into UFO-related programs, and they create them, and they're fake. So then they get audited by the General Accounting Office of the United States government, 
it just looks like all the money's going into fucking more helicopters, but it's really going into like UFO related programs. And there's Egyptians in front of the building, dude holding pyramids and saying the past and the future. I have people from the government talking about aliens, they're fucking real, you son of a bitch. So as we can see, long before he went on this UFO hunt of his, he was interested in all of this alien business. And once again, we already listened to that song, Aliens Exist. Hey mom, there's something in the back room. Um, so anyways, you know, that clip was from the early 2000s. And now we'll jump back to 2015 when he was talking with Paper Mag in an interview. And I will read some choice quotes from this uh, interview with Paper Mag and some stuff that he, uh, that he said. He would say, you have to understand, I've been involved in this for a long time. I have sources from the government. I've had my phone tapped. I've done a lot of weird stuff in this industry. People wouldn't believe me if I told them. But this is what happens when you start getting on an email chain with hundreds of scientists from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in different universities around the country. And you start outing senior scientists from Lockheed Martin talking about the reality of this stuff. Guys that hold 30 patents. Guys that went underground out in Nevada test sites in Area 51. It goes far beyond just saying, hey, that little light in the sky, that's a little green man. That doesn't lend the right gravity to the topic. Years ago, there was somebody who was gathering 150 hours of top secret testimony specifically for congressional hearings on government projects and the U.S. secret space program. People from NASA, Rome, the Vatican, you name it, they're all on here. The top 36 hours that summarized the best parts of all that footage, I had it hidden in my house for a period of time. And during that time, I was flying this person out along with somebody that was Werner von Braun's right-hand assistant. Werner von Braun was a Nazi scientist that we brought over to build our Apollo rockets that got us to the moon. And on his deathbed, he told this person a bunch of stuff. And I was flying them out to Los Angeles, and we were taking certain meetings. At this time, a lot of weird stuff started happening. And so, now we're going to continue reading some stuff from this Paper Mag interview. And now Tom DeLonge is talking about whether he was scared about all this stuff that he is, you know, alleging to have happened. Partially because they do weird stuff. At the time, I didn't know it, but the person I was dealing with was being awoken in the middle of the night with clicking and buzzing noises and falling on the ground vomiting every morning at 4 a.m. I know that, that the I know that those are artifacts from mind control experiments where the same technology that we use to find oil underground, we can zap somebody at the same frequency that the brain operates on, and it can cause some really horrific things to happen. But I didn't know this until 10 years later. I got caught in the middle of it. And this was the time when I was on the cover of Rolling Stone. So I think these guys, whoever was running this operation, were like, what the fuck? How did this kid show up? And so now we're going to read some more from the Paper Mag interview. I'm currently plugging in my computer so it doesn't die on us. But this is Tom DeLong on Being in Danger. To give you an example, one time I remember bringing up a very specific craft that I believe we're building, in secret, to emulate the phenomenon that our government has been observing for decades. So I started talking about the craft and its magnetic slide system and how it displaces over 89% of the mass of the ship. 
how it ionizes the engine, how it glows. I went through the whole thing, and this engineer looks at me. This guy's 70 years old, and he goes, you better be real fucking careful about what you're talking about. And I go, okay, so I'm close. And he goes, I'm not fucking kidding with you. You better be really careful. And he calls me up the next day, and he goes, I've had calls about you. If someone comes and asks you to get in their car, don't get in the car. And that's the shit I'm dealing with. And so now we'll read the last little bit that I want to read from this very interesting paper mag interview. And this is him talking about his experience of contact. So Tom DeLonge is making contact with the extraterrestrials or whatever the phenomenon is, at least according to him. And so DeLonge said, we had two nights. We did one outside of a secret base called China Lake, and that was on the flight path to Area 51, which is known as Groom Lake. We camped out at the northern end of the, at the northern end of that, about 200 miles from the nearest staff location. We were above an area called Tonopah, which is where they test fly a lot of different things. So if you remember, I was talking about a person that was gathering all that footage for the congressional hearing. That person was telling me that the big belief, which I had corroborated by a university professor that was in the know, by the way, that the communication of this particular phenomenon is the frequency of thought. So part of communicating and making contact is shutting your mind down and being able to project your thoughts. And this guy was telling me about it and this whole protocol for how it works. When we went out there the first night, we decided to run through this protocol where you project, where you project your thoughts. So we decided to do it, and we were up mad late, but nothing happened. I kept telling the guys if anything was going to happen and what it happened at 3 in the morning, because that's the time when things like this happen. Don't ask me why. We put about four logs on the fire, and everything is illuminated by the fire, and we fall asleep around 1 or 2. I woke up right around 3 a.m., my whole body felt like it had static electricity, and I opened my eyes and the fire is still going, and there's a conversation going on outside the tent. It sounded like there were about 20 people there, talking, and instantly my mind goes, okay, they're at our campsite. They're not here to hurt us. They're talking about shit, but I can't make out what they're saying, but they're working on something. Then I close my eyes and wake up and the fire is out, and I have about three hours of lost time. And that is the end of us talking about uh, Tom DeLonge's interview with Paper Mag. But when that came out, um, he, you know, wasn't really known for this, like, to the stars stuff yet. Um, none of the stuff that would, I don't know, I guess lend some sort of credence to his claims of meeting up with high-level officials and stuff like that would not, hadn't surfaced as of yet. So people saw this interview and they're like, Tom DeLonge has lost his ever-loving mind. So that's kind of where we're at in the story right now. But in 2016, he published a fictional book through, you know, the To The Stars media company entitled Secret Machines, Chasing Shadows, along with author A.J. Hartley, claiming that the story is based on his contact with high-level government insiders. And I haven't read this book there's two different Secret Machines series. There's the fictional series, Secret Machines, and then there's the nonfiction one that he wrote with Peter Lavenda. And we will, at some point, dive very deeply into the, uh, the books that he wrote with Peter Lavenda. Um, they're supposed to be a three-part series, but as of the moment, only two of those books came out. And I am 
almost done with the second book. So we will definitely uh, get into a lot of what him and Peter Lavenda have to say. <laughs> uh, and just a little bit about Peter Lavenda too, for those of you who may not know about him already. But the story incorporates, this is, you know, The Secret Machines, the fiction one published in 2016. It incorporates many different subjects that are, you know, big talk in ufology circles, such as the Nazi Bell, Operation High Jump, which is, you know, the expedition to Antarctica, and Roswell, of course, because how can you have a UFO book without mentioning Roswell? Uh, and all this stuff comes up in a fictional tale of the government's involvement with alien technology. This is just the little bit that I could gather from, you know, uh, the summary on Amazon and people's reviews of the book, but uh, it's got quite a bit of user reviews and people do seem to like the book. It seems like it's not the worst book ever, so I don't know. There is that to say. Now, how much Tom DeLong had to do with either this fiction series with A.J. Hartley or with the writing of the non-fiction series with Peter Lavinda, I mean, I guess that you kind of have to just Think about it for yourself, but let me just say that I've read a decent amount of Peter Lavenda and the nonfiction books written with Peter Lavenda. I mean, it just reads in the same tone that any other Peter Lavenda book reads, you know, like Sinister Forces or, or something like that. So I would think that Peter Lavenda had more to do with the writing of it than Tom DeLonge. Um, but who knows? Um, but anyway... DeLong claimed that the sources that were in the aerospace industry, the Department of Defense, and NASA, and many people responded to these claims with skepticism and ridicule, these claims that DeLong had been making, and not after DeLong would claim that he had held a meeting on September 25th, 2016 with government insiders, and that he would make UFO disclosures. And after failing to re release these disclosures in the time frame that he promised, there began to be a crowd of people who were dubious of DeLong's claims. And people's skepticism of DeLong only grew as time went on and there was no disclosures on Tom DeLong's end. And there was no reason at this point to believe that Tom DeLong actually had been meeting up with high-level military and intelligence people and that, you know, he was going to do anything as far as making disclosures go. So at this point, his credibility is kind of shot. But then, out of all things, the WikiLeaks of the Podesta emails happened. So John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager... Um, he was the chairman of, you know, Hillary Clinton's campaign, and he was a former senior advisor to Obama, and, uh, his emails would get leaked, and out of all things, this would be what would authenticate on some level that Tom DeLong had been meeting with high-level people, and there's so much that could be said about John Podesta, and, that would just need to be the subject of another episode and also a lot of the stuff that we could talk about as far as uh, John Podesta is concerned uh, would be a little bit risky just because, you know, I mean, he, for those of you who don't know, he was at the center of a lot of the Pizzagate allegations. Now, whether you 
think that Pizzagate was a real thing, if you think that it was some sort of intelligence operation to shitcoat more, you know, grounded examples like the Franklin cover-up or Epstein or Presidio and all those other, you know, accusations of elite pedophile rings that have, you know, a little bit more substance than the Pizzagate ones. Or if you're, you know, you're like Pizzagate agnostic about the whole thing, you know, that doesn't really matter for what we're talking about. There's a whole lot of other bad stuff that you could say about Podesta um, that, you know, you wouldn't have to reach as far for, um, you know, in regards to like all this Pizzagate stuff. But anyways, that's who John Podesta is. And now we'll just get a little bit into some of these emails. And I mean, even before we get into, you know, these emails between Podesta and Tom DeLong, it's important to note that, you know, Podesta has been, you know, a believer or at least claims to be a believer in UFOs for a long time. And, you know, he said that, you know, his biggest of failure during the Obama administration was, you know, his inability to secure the disclosure of UFO files. And he also said that, you know, if Hillary were to become president, that she would declassify all documents on ETs, you know. And uh, just another interesting side note, the Apollo 14 astronaut, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, he was, you know, the sixth man to supposedly walk on the moon. He would also get into contact with Podessa through his representative, Terry Mansfield, you know, trying to possibly set up a meeting, whether that meeting took place, who knows. But in the email, it's, you know, discussed the Vatican's interest in UFOs and Edgar Mitchell's interest, along with some of these Catholic scientists in harnessing zero point energy to help fight climate change of all things. So Podesta is kind of this guy who, you know, I guess you come to with UFO stuff. And, you know, there's a lot that could be said about him and his brother, Tony, even aside from like, you know, Pizzagate level circumstantial evidence type stuff. I mean, for instance, we know that his brother, Tony Podesta, um, had some sort of connection to Dennis Haster and Dennis Haster, who was, you know, the, uh, I want to say he was the Speaker of the House, and he was brought up on, you know, charges of crimes against children, you know, and him and Tony Podesta had a some sort of relation, so given some of the other claims that are circulating around him, I don't know, we're getting on a rabbit hole now, but anyways, let's read one of these emails between Tom DeLong and Tony Podesta. And so this one is Tom DeLong writing. Hi, John. Tom DeLong here, the one who interviewed you for that special documentary not too long ago. Things are moving with the project. The novels, films, and nonfiction works are blooming and finishing. Just had a preliminary meeting with Spielberg's chief operating officer at DreamWorks. More meetings are now on the books. I would like to bring two very important and important is in quotes, people out to meet you in D.C. I think you will find them very interesting as they were principal leadership relating to our sensitive topic. Both were in charge of most fragile divisions as it relates to classified science and Department of Defense topics. Other words, these are A-level officials. 
worth our time as well as the investment to bring all the way out to you. I just need two hours from you. Just looking to have a casual and private conversation in person. Here are some photos from the material I'm using as I met with studio partners. Best, Tom DeLong. And here's another email that DeLong wrote to Podesta with the subject being General McCasland. And we'll talk a little bit more about him in a second. He mentioned he's a skeptic. He's not. I've been working with him for four months. I just got done giving him a four-hour presentation on the entire project a few weeks ago. Trust me, the advice has already been happening on how to do all this. He just has to say that out loud, but he is very, very aware, as he was in charge of all of the stuff. When Roswell crashed, they shipped it to the laboratory at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. General McCasland was in charge of that exact laboratory up to a couple years ago. He not only knows what I'm trying to achieve, he helped assemble my advisory team. He's a very important man. Best Tom DeLong. And, you know, there were other emails between them. An other email would show a calendar invitation that was accepted with the subject reading, Event Invitation Reply Accepted, DeLong Podesta Meeting. And, you know, you could be wondering, well, perhaps this meeting fell through. Is there any evidence that this meeting took place? And let's just say that there's a picture of John Podesta, Tom DeLong, Peter Lavenda, and I believe the uh, guy who also wrote some of the fictional secret machine stuff um, all together in a room. And now whether this was the only meeting that took place or if there was more meetings that took place, um, you know, I guess that's open to interpretation because, uh, you know, who knows. But there was definitely quite a bit, a bit of email correspondence with John Podesta. So, anyways, let's now start talking about To The Stars Academy. And specifically, back to this email correspondence that was, you know, taking place around some of the projects that To The Stars Academy was concerned with, three of DeLong's insiders are re released as a result of these emails. One of them is Rob Weiss, then there's Major General William N. McCasland, and U.S. Air Force Major Michael Carey. So, Rob Weiss, he was U.S. Naval Reserve Captain before joining Lockheed Martin, and he would work his way up to being the Executive Vice President and General Manager of the Aeronautics Advanced Development Programs, or more commonly known as Skunk Works. And Skunk Works works on all kinds of crazy space-age shit, you know, stuff like creating advanced aircrafts, and, you know, they would, at the orders of the CIA, actually be the ones to create Area 51. So Skunk Works is involved in all kinds of really crazy technological stuff. And, you know, depending on what your thoughts are on UFOs, I mean, if you think that they're extraterrestrials or some sort of advanced civilization on another planet sending, you know, AI reconnaissance drones or something like that, you know then this isn't going to bear much on your opinion. But if you're kind of more of the perspective of someone like me, full disclosure, that, you know, uh, that a lot of these things see that people see and think are UFOs are probably just more likely advanced military craft, you know, and drones and all kinds of crazy stuff that they have. Um, 
then Skunk Works would probably be the ones who are making them. And so say if you're in the intelligence community and you wanted to seed the narrative that uh, aliens exist so that way when people see something strange in the sky, they think, oh, that's a UFO, that's an alien instead of the UFO being, you know, unidentified flying skunk work operations <laughs> or something like that, you know, then Rob Weiss, he would maybe have a vested interest in putting this theory forward. But anyways, that's who Rob Weiss is, you know, high up in skunk works, executive vice president and general manager of, you know, skunk works. And so then we have General William N. McCasland, who was the U.S. Air Force major. And he was the commander of the United States Air Force Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which was formed on, of all days, Halloween of 1997. And the lab has performed experiments in conjunction with the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, you know, NASA, the DOD, you name it. And he's currently the director of technology at Applied Technical Technology Associates. And McCaslin was connected to the now deceased Michael Duggan. And both spent time working at Kirkland Air Force Base. And Duggan was J. Allen Hynek's assistant. And Hynek was an astronomer who helped lead the famous investigation into the UFO's Project Blue Book. Um... Investigation into UFOs, Project Blue Book. I kind of said that funny. Duggan would also spend time working alongside DARPA. And Blue Book was headquartered at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And it took place from 1952 through 1997. 1970, I mean, with a precursor project starting in late 1947, which is interesting given that the CIA was created in the September of 1947. So... Hopefully you guys are following along. Um, I've got a lot of notes here that I'm trying to get through, and there's a lot of connections to be made. So I know that I'm really throwing a lot at you. And also, just to clarify, the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base um, you know, was formed in Halloween of 1997, but I think that that's their newer uh, installation that they've got there. So, you know, it exists prior to that. Um, just to avoid confusion. And once again, sorry for having to throw so much stuff at you guys. But anyways, let's talk about the last of these three insiders who we know exist and that DeLong was meeting with and had connections with through these, you know, emails with Podesta. And that is U.S. Air Force Major Michael Carey. And he was, you know, Major General and he was the special assistant to the commander of Air Force Space Command at Peterson Space Force Base. And that's the home of NORAD, located by the Cheyenne Mountain Complex, which there's all kind of crazy lore surrounding. And so, anyways, these Podesta leaks come out, these emails. We now know of these three insiders, Major General William N. McCasland, Rob Weiss, and U.S. Air Force Major Michael Carey. And a lot of people who had been skeptical of Tom DeLonge, you know, because at this point there was no evidence to suggest that he was actually meeting with, you know, all of these people who, you know, high level insiders. And this is kind of when people kind of went, 
okay, maybe Tom DeLonge is the real deal. And I mean, obviously, like everything in the UF community, UFO community, there's a lot of debate going around as to whether he's the real deal or not, you know, whether he's some sort of, you know, op or whether he is really going to bring about disclosure. And so this is what confirms that he's at least telling some level of truth. Um, and I believe at this point he uh, would go on like the Joe Rogan experience. And if you really just want a real trip of something to listen to, listen to his appearance on Joe Rogan. It is very scatterbrained and everything is kind of like that. Just trust me, I can't tell you where I'm getting this information, but it's real, and I'm in talks with high-level people, man, and, you know, if I could tell you, I would, but I just can't, and, uh, you know, we could argue about whether Joe Rogan is some sort of op himself, but he does a bit of a good job of just asking him very basic questions like, you know, how do you know that you can trust these people who are telling you these things? Why have you been the guy who's been appointed to bring about disclosure and stuff? And one of the only things that Tom DeLonge says in the interview that kind of has some level of logic and credibility behind it, you know, is Joe Rogan is like, well, why have you been appointed to be like this disclosure guy and to release all this stuff? And Tom DeLonge doesn't even realize why this is true, but it ends up kind of being true. So I guess it's like that, you know broken clock is right every once in a while kind of thing but you know Tom DeLonge goes well I have this big platform and I have all these people who are fans of mine you know and so when you're dealing with these intelligence agency people they're only interested in you insofar as you can do something for them and it's my platform that gives me the ability to do something for them and to spread these truths that they want out there and it's like well, you're right in that they're only interested in you in so far as what you can do for them, and they are interested in you because of their platform, but I want to just eat up everything out of their hand the way that Tom DeLong kind of seems to do, you know. And just, if you watch a little bit of that interview, it's very humorous to, to watch, um, but you can just kind of see that uh, Tom DeLong's a little bit uncritical, of uh, <laughs> to say the least so anyways a little bit of time would pass and now it's february 15th of 2017 and tom DeLong is given the ufo researcher of the year award at the international ufo congress and the international ufo congress that's like a huge deal in ufology it is the biggest ufo conference or whatever and so, I mean, he basically gets, like, the, you know, Oscar for UFO research or something like that. The Nobel Prize of UFOlogy goes to Tom DeLong. And so then, a little bit later, October 11th of 2017, To The Stars Academy would upload a video to YouTube announcing their attempt to create a spaceship that can instantly transfer people across air, space, and water. And accompanying DeLong were Jim Simivan, who was the former CIA operations director and senior intelligence service, Chris Mellon, the great-great-grandchild of Thomas Mellon, 
and the former director of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence and the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence under both Clinton and Bush. And you are maybe thinking, Chris Mellon, Mellon, that's interesting. Yes, we are talking about the Mellon dynasty, you know, uh, the banking heirs of, you know, yeah, so just uh, pretty, pretty crazy, you know, he's basically like in this like Rockefeller type, <laughs> type family, you know, yes, the Mellons, um, and, you know, Chris Mellon now is not only um, an heir to this family, but he's also, you know, in all this intelligence agency stuff. And then there's Hal Puthoff, who we'll talk a lot about Puthoff in just a little bit. But for now, he was the director of Project Stargate. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry. We're going to cover it. And, uh, you know, he has all kinds of CIA connections and stuff himself. And also, how can we forget, he's also surrounded with just a couple more people. The former director of the Advanced System Developments at Lockheed Martin Skunk Work, Steve Justice, and Luis Elizondo, the former director of programs to investigate unidentified aerial threats under the Defense Intelligence Agency. And Elizondo used to, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about him in a second. He was also a former employee of the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and was a U.S. Army counterintelligence special agent. So, needless to say, once again, I'm throwing a lot at you guys. Hopefully everybody's keeping up. I know if I was listening, I'd probably have a hard time keeping up. I'm kind of having a hard time keeping up myself, even with the little bit of notes that I have in front of me, just because there is so much to be said about all of this and I'm throwing a lot of names and positions about you but we will talk now about some of the uh, more important people who are involved uh, with this. Yeah. 
And so now we're going to be talking about Dr. Hal Putoff, who's one of the people that I just mentioned. And we will go a little bit into his history and just, you know, see what he's all about. And uh, he's a very interesting character. And he is one of the co-founders of To The Star Academy, along with Tom DeLonge. So, I mean, there's Tom DeLonge, and then basically as far as the To The Stars Academy hierarchy goes, it is Hal Putoff. So, who is Hal Putoff? Well, Hal Putoff was born in 1936, and in 1967, he would receive his PhD from Stanford University in Electrical Engineering. And overall, Hal Putoff is just a bit of a freak. He would begin working on tunable lasers and electron beam devices before getting into what is often considered fringe physics. And uh, this is something that he would be interested in throughout all of his life. And as a lot of you guys know, uh, the fringe field of physics, quantum physics, a lot of this different stuff just kind of has a high propensity to uh, attract freaks. I don't know what it is about that subject that brings so many quacks. But Putoff would begin to publish on polarizable vacuums, which is a counterpart to the theory of general relativity that attempts to explain the relationship between gravity and electromagnetism. And he would also study stochastic electrodynamics, which I don't, I couldn't tell you the first thing about what stochastic electrodynamics really is, but all I'll say is that it relates to zero-point energy, which is talked about in all kinds of three energy, free energy theories, as well as, you know, discussed by people like Bob Lazar and now Tom DeLonge in relationship to UFO technology. And we already mentioned, you know, to the Stars Academy saying that they're going to work on building some sort of a ship that can transfer people, you know, across land, space, and air, and, you know, basically an instant, and that all relates to this idea of zero-point energy and free energy. So this is kind of the stuff that Putoff would be interested in. So toward the end of the 60s, Putoff became a Scientologist, and by 1971, he would reach the second highest known level of Scientology, which is Operating Thetan 7. So, I mean, he really rose up the Scientology ranks very fast. And uh, I believe at this time he had already been working, which we'll talk a little bit of, in a bit as, you know, a naval intelligence officer, which for a while, I think that they don't hold to this anymore, but they didn't want people who were, you know, kind of involved in intelligence or something, or at least that's, you know, the official line, but... Um, yeah, so he's the second highest level in Scientology, at least known levels. There's people who theorize about there being higher levels, but I couldn't tell you anything about that. But perhaps of greatest interest to you, listener, is his involvement with the CIA, specifically his remote viewing experiments that took place at the Stanford Research Institute, or what I'll sometimes refer to as SRI. But Stanford Research Institute is something that will end up playing a big role in the story of To The Stars Academy and a lot of the people who are kind of in its orbit. So keep that in mind, the Stanford Research Institute, and we're going to dive deep into that. 
But Pudhoff has mentioned in passing that he was a naval intelligence officer and a civilian employee at the NSA years prior to his remote viewing experiments. But I really couldn't find any more information about what he did in these capacities. So he was a naval intelligence and a civilian employee at the NSA. Who knows what he was doing there. But in 1972, Putoff was involved in laser research at the Stanford Research Institute, which was created in 1946 after people at Stanford proposed the idea of a research institute in the West. And there was also attempts by Lockheed Martin executives. Well, actually, at the time, it was just Lockheed. It hadn't merged with uh, the Martin business yet. So Lockheed executives and others wanted to create a research institute in the West as well. And initially, Stanford University president wanted to avoid research that could bring any kind of political pressure onto the university. But it wouldn't be long before they accepted a contract with the Office of Naval Research. Very interesting. Putoff was you know, in naval intelligence, and they would accept a contract with the Office of Naval Research, and there would kind of be a, uh, a long history of involvement between, uh, you know, naval intelligence and what have you, and uh, SRI. And they, at this point, were basically unable to resist uh, that sweet, sweet federal loot. So SRI and the Office of Naval Research kind of go against this ban that, uh, against, you know, political pressure research um, by the president of Stanford. And the Institute would do all kinds of things, stuff, everything from advising Walt Disney on the creation of Disneyland to creating Shaky, who was the first mobile robot to reason about its actions at their artificial intelligence center. And they would also be heavily involved with ARPANET and receive funding from uh, DARPA. And DARPA funding actually brought attention from Vietnam war protesters because they, uh, you know, did not like it being a part of the military industrial complex. And so, the Institute would separate from the university due to this in 1970, and that is right around when Putoff comes into the mix, when they are completely severed from Stanford University. And so in 1972, while Putoff was involved with this laser research, he would speak with New York artist Ingo Swan, who said that he had taken part in successful experiments in psychokinesis, and for those of you who don't know what that is, that's the ability to move objects with one's mind. So Putoff claims that Swan influenced a magna, uh, excuse me, influence a magnetometer that was stored below the floor of the building in a vault, and that he then remote viewed the inside of this apparatus and drew a relatively relatively accurate facsimile of its construction, which hadn't been published at this point in time. That is the magnetometer. Um, so, you know, he moves the magnetometer in some way and he's able to remote view or kind of like view in his mind from a distance, uh, you know, the, the structure of this device. So Putoff said that he wrote about this and that it spread to his scientific colleagues and that this is what would draw the interest of the intelligence community at least according to Putoff, but keep in mind, he had already been involved with intelligence at this point with, you know, 
the naval intelligence and with the NSA. So who knows if this is really what brought you know the intelligence agency's attention, but you know now the CIA would get interested. And in the words of put off, in a few short weeks, a pair of visitors showed up at SRI with the above report in hand. Their credentials showed them to be from the CIA. They knew of my previous background as a naval intelligence officer and then a civilian employee at the NSA several years earlier and felt that they could discuss their concerns with me openly. There was, they told me, increasing concern in the intelligence community about the level of effort in Soviet parapsychology being funded by the Soviet security services. By Western scientific standards, the field was considered nonsense by most working scientists. As a result, they had been on the lookout for a research laboratory outside of academia that could handle a quiet, low-profile, classified investigation, and SRI appeared to fit the bill. So that's what Putoff has to say about things. And Putoff would claim various successes from these remote viewing experiences, such as Ingo Swan attempting to remote view Jupiter before the NASA Pioneer 10 did a flyby, and Swan saw a ring around the planet that, you know, he remote viewed. And uh, they were kind of thinking, well, he must have accidentally remote viewed Saturn when the flyby took. But when the flyby took place, um, it was revealed that there was, in fact, a ring around Jupiter. So eventually the CIA's remote viewers would go on to view Soviet sites and remote viewing sealed envelopes to try and determine if they contain any secret writings on the inside and all kinds of other stuff and there's a lot of debate about you know uh kind of the efficacy of this remote viewing research and a lot of people have called into question you know uh the methods by which you know people like Putoff and others claim that there was success in the remote viewing experiments, and in 1978, a secret army, secret army unit was formed in Fort Meade, Maryland by the Defense Intelligence Agency and SRI to investigate psychic phenomena's application in a military context, and Lieutenant Frederick Holmes oversaw the operation until 1987, and he was an aide of General Albert Stubblebein, who was a key sponsor and believer in what he referred to as Project Stargate. And many of you guys have probably, you know, in various conspiracy documentaries or, you know, in those dark hours when you're on bit shoot or whatever, have stumbled into some sort of video um, of Albert Stubblebine because he would get very big into the conspiracy field. And uh, now whether he was genuine about getting into all this conspiracy stuff or whether he was some sort of plant, I would lean towards the latter. Um, Albert, you know, I mean, he would say that a plane didn't hit the Pentagon. He would go on the Alex Jones show. And I couldn't find a video or an audio clip in specific, but he would also claim that there are structures on Mars, according to like some like old blog uh, posts and stuff that I find, like some of them on like Angel Fire type <laughs> websites. Um, but anyways, you know, um, 
Albert Stubblebine was very big into a big believer in this remote viewing stuff, according to different sources. And he would kind of be the key sponsor in all of this going on. And so whether he's just kind of a quack who got into conspiracy stuff or whether he's some sort of, you know, operative who is sent to infiltrate the conspiracy community could be either one kind of lean towards the latter but i couldn't you know find any good evidence to uh suggest it either way but anyways back to put off so he would be involved with all of this stargate stuff involved in all of this psychic research taking place you know with the cia and the dia through stanford research institute and uh some of you guys have probably seen some of these uh type of stories uh fictionalized if you've seen the men who stare at goats which is a a funny movie in my opinion i enjoyed it my girlfriend she thinks that it's like the worst movie of all time so perhaps it won't be to your taste but i thought it was an interesting watch so in 1985, after Putoff's time at Stargate had ended, he created Earth Tech International in Austin, Texas. And the company website um, about us page reads, The Institute for Advanced Studies at Austin was in found in that's Earth Tech for you guys. The Institute for Advanced Studies at Austin was founded in 1985 by Harold Putoff, PhD, and later incorporated under Earth Tech International Inc. In 1991, as an innovative research facility with a high-powered creative staff dedicated to exploring the forefront reaches of science and engineering, our research interest includes theories of space-time, gravity, and cosmology, studies of the quantum vacuum, modifications of standard theories of electrodynamics, interstellar flight science, and the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Specifically, as these topics may apply to develop innovating space propulsion and sources. Specifically, as these topics may apply to developing innovative space propulsion and sources of energy, we strive to translate these ideas into laboratory experiments. And so, let's talk a little bit more about Earth Tech. Um, their principal team consists of Harold Putoff and what I can only presume to be his sons, Colin and Brennan Putoff as well as a man by the name of Eric W. Davis. And on the website, it states that Putoff regularly works for corporations and foundations, as well as NASA and the Department of Defense and intelligence communities as an advisor on leading-edge technologies and future technology trends. And so we already know a little bit about Putoff and his history, so let's just talk for a second about Eric W. Davis, who also works on Earth Tech. Eric W. Davis, he has a PhD in astrophysics, also has a very interesting resume, to say the least. EarthTech's website lists one of his research special specializations as directed energy weapons, in addition to working as an adjunct, adjunct professor in the Early Universe Cosmology and String Group at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. And Baylor's website says, since 1984, Dr. Davis has worked in academia and, in, and industry and has also been a contractor consultant to the U.S. Air Force, Air Force Research Laboratory, the Department of Defense Agencies, and Department of Energy, NASA, and federal law enforcement agencies. 
So Putoff is the senior science advisor of EarthTech and is also the owner slash chief scientist slash chief executive of Warp Drive Metrics, which is a Department of Defense contractor. Um, oh, I said Putoff. I mean to say uh, Eric W. Davis is the senior science advisor of EarthTech as also the owner, chief scientist, chief executive of Warp Drive Metrics, which is a DOD contractor. And Davis has a mixture of both normal and fringe, fringe research that he has conducted, possibly the most far out there of which is he received $25,000 to study conveyance of persons by psychic means and transport through extra space dimensions or parallel universes. And on the website of EarthTech, there are a list of government program contract reports for Davis six of which are for the Defense Intelligence Agency, and five of which are for the Air Force. And just a brief list of titles for you guys to know what kind of research is being conducted. Is the laser is laser lightcraft nanosatellites. Another is called Warp Drive Dark Energy and the Manipulation of Extra Dimensions. Another is called Traversable Wormholes, Stargates, and Negative Energy, and lastly, there's more than this, but just of interest to us, is teleportation physics studies. So both Putoff and Davis are members of the Association of Former Intelligence Officers, so perhaps there's even more about Eric W. Davis that we don't exactly understand. So anyways, that is a little bit about how Putoff um, the co-founder, along with Tom DeLong, of To The Stars Academy. You know, a guy who's been involved in intelligence and who is into all kinds of friends research and is also was involved with the Stanford Research Institute. And the Stanford Research Institute is a very interesting place. And uh, there's a lot of interesting people who were kind of associated with that SRI scene. So let's just for a second go on a little bit of a rabbit hole and talk for just a second more about SRI because for people who listen to Program to Chill, which is probably many of my listeners, I think that you guys are going to find this a little bit interesting because you might have already recognized the name SRI or go, that sounds familiar. I think I've heard about that somewhere. Well, Jack Sarfati, who, as I said, P2C listeners probably remember, was a theoretical physicist born in 1932 with a particular interest in quantum mechanics and the study of consciousness. And here we will read from Peter Lavinda's third book in his Sinister Forces trilogy about an experience Sarfati had in 1952, making him, I believe, 14 at the time that this happened. And he was a primary school student. And so we're reading from Lavinda. Once again, Lavinda is the guy who co-wrote the Secret Machine nonfiction books with Tom DeLong. So this is Sinister Forces Book 3. Nuclear physicist Jack Sarfati, an intimate of Saul Paul Sarag, Andrzej Purok, I can't even pronounce that name, Yuri Geller, and Philip K. Dick, some other people, has written about a similar experience he had as a primary school student around the same time in 1952, an experience in which he places a lot of stock and which was obviously a seminal event in his life. 
He had been identified as a boy with a genius IQ, and preparations would soon be made to send him to Cornell University on a full scholarship at the age of 17. In the meantime, however, he received a strange phone call at his home in the Flatbush section of Brooklyn. According to Sarfati's own account in The Destiny Matrix, and also available on the internet, the telephone rings. I pick it up, and now this is Sarfati relaying it. The telephone rings. I pick it up. I hear curious clanking mechanical sounds like relays clicking. A distant cold metallic voice speaking numbers gets louder. Who are you? I ask. I am a conscious computer on board a spacecraft. We have identified you as one of 400 young, bright, receptive minds. You must give us your decision now. If you say yes, you will begin to link up with others in 20 years. After a few seconds, young Sarfati agrees, and the voice replies, Good. Go to your fire escape. We will send a ship to pick you up in 10 minutes. Nothing happened. And so when Sarfati joined Columbia, he would take part in an after-school program ran by the pedophile and one of the founding members of NAMBLA, Walter Breen. And I know that I just said Columbia and that uh, the other said Cornell. I, I'm not 100% sure which it is. I know that I think Jimmy Fallon Gong actually had Sarfati like, tweet at him because he messed it up. So Sarfati decides to listen. I'm sorry if I am saying the wrong college. I'm covering my grounds by mentioning both of them. But anyways... Once again, we'll read from Lavenda, and he says, But the gifted children group to which Sarfati belonged was somehow linked with the Sandia Corporation, now part of the Lockheed Martin, a charter member of the Defense Energy Establishment. In an email posted on a website and dated July 16, 2001, Sarfati writes, Breen was talking about extra dimensions, telepathy, remote viewing, UFOs, mutant humans, contact with aliens, Sandia was trying to develop us as superkids to have paranormal powers and to deal with extra-dimensional intelligence. Sandia is still involved with guilt gifted children to this day in cooperation with a superkids program that selects very bright students to work with its supercomputer. And if the episode wasn't already Lavenda heavy enough, I'm going to read one last quote from Lavenda in Sinister Forces. So just give me a second. So once again, we're talking about Sarfati. He became involved with the Stanford Research Institute at about the same time, and with Hal Putoff and Russell Targ, scientists who were involved in SRI's remote viewing and other paranormal experiments. Until this association, Sarfati considered himself to have been anti-mystical, but during his time with SRI, he begins to realize the importance of those mysterious phone calls made 20 years earlier. He also discovers that artist and remote viewer Ingo Swan channeled a cold metallic voice from a saucer a hundred years into the future at Stanford Research Institute, along with our friend Barbara Honiger of the October Surprise episode. SRI, of course, was also the place where Israeli, Israeli psychic Yuri Geller was tested in 1973. In 1975, in a separate series of tests of Yuri Geller's psychic abilities by a team at Lawrence Livermore Laboratories, where much of America's nuclear weapons research takes place, the scientists were worried about someone with Geller's abilities would be able to trigger a nuclear device or scramble a computer system using only his mind. Scientists recorded another 
distinctive metallic sounding voice unheard during the actual experience but now clearly audible among the few words that could be made out however was the code name of a very closely held government project the project had nothing to do with psychic research and neither it nor its code name was known to livermore more about the Lawrence Livermore incident in the following chapter, but in line with the experience of Sarfati, one of the Livermore scientists actually received a phone call from the strange metallic voice, which told him and the team to cease the experiments with Yuri Geller. They did, and they were left alone after that. And so, anyways, that is a bit of a digression, but I think it's very interesting that Hal put off you know, has connections with Jack Serfati and how this relates to the whole, you know, Walter Breen thing that uh, listeners to Program to Chill are probably all too familiar with. And I already mentioned that Walter Breen was a member of NAMBLA, but for those of you who don't know, that's the North American Man-Boy Love Association. And Walter Breen was a pedophile who... Uh, was just a real monster, but in addition to being a monster, he was also a genius with a photographic memory, and yeah, he would be involved with these gifted kids, and there's all kinds of weird stuff surrounding gifted kids and intelligence agencies and these, you know, pedophile rings, so it's interesting that there's kind of like this light tie-in with that whole world of Jack Sarfati and all of that stuff going on, and with you know, the Stanford Research Institute. So very interesting to say the least. And Walter Breen, who was, you know, this guy who was running this special kids operation that Jack Sarfati, who would be involved with Stanford Research Institute, would, uh, you know, be a member of this special kids group. He also claimed to, you know, have been uh, contacted by UFOs and, uh, this was during a time when he was working at Lackland Air Force Base. Um, and if I remember correctly, he was working at Lackland Air Force Base. Um, don't want to speak wrong, but Lackland Air Force Base is located, located right by San Antonio. And we probably won't have time to get to it in this episode because I've already been talking for like over an hour but let's just say, keep that in mind that Walter Breen and San Antonio and so-called UFO abduction, because in the next episode, we'll talk a little bit about Whitley Strieber. And uh, he is also somebody who is, you know, lived close to the San Antonio Air Force Base, um, which there's a series of Air Force bases in San Antonio. And Nazis were brought over during paperclip to, you know, do all kinds of research at these Air Force bases in San Antonio. And this Walter Breen UFO thing says that there was probably weird shit going on uh, beforehand. And uh, so kind of just brings us to that question about whether or not uh, it's UFO abductions or maybe these are has more to do with MK Ultra. So anyways, that was a bit of a digression, but I just wanted to relay that back to there's all kinds of weird figures who, you know, were doing stuff at Stanford Research Institute. And we will also talk about in the next episode just a little bit about Jacques Vallée, who I believe also worked at Stanford Research Institute doing work on ARPANET. And so SRI is going to come back up in our conversations that we will have 
next week. So anyways, we have talked about Hal Putoff, and now we're going to talk about another one of these people who is involved with To The Stars Academy. They were on stage with, you know, DeLong while he's giving his whole spaceship spiel to the world. And who is that? Well, this guy who we're going to be talking about is Louis Elizondo. So Louis Elizondo, a man who looks like your doofy uncle. Let's get into this doofy intelligence uncle of ours, Louis Elizondo. So as stated earlier, he was the former director of the program to investigate unidentified aerial threats under the Defense Intelligence Agency, known as the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or AAIP. So Elizondo was also a former employee of the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence in the Pentagon, as well as a former U.S. Army Counterintelligence Special Agent. The Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program would start in 2007 at the behest of then-Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid and end in 2012. And according to Elizondo, if I understand properly, the, po the program continued on until at least 2017, like secretly, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the whole timeline for that kind of didn't make sense when I was looking into it. But he would then resign over what the narrator on the show, Unidentified, says what Lewis considered to be a cover-up. And Unidentified is actually, Tom DeLong is one of the executive producers of the show, and it follows Lewis Elizondo and some of the other To The Stars Academy guys. And it's, you know, part of uh, To The Stars Academy whole program to put stuff out there in the media about, you know, disclosure and aliens and stuff like that. Because To The Stars Academy, they're, you know, supposedly involved in research into, you know, all different kinds of aspect of science, you know, kind of like that put-off field of science. But they are also involved with putting stuff out there into the media. That's what the Secret Machines fictional books are about. It's what the television shows are about. They make children's books. You know, they have a big component of it is, you know, trying to get stuff into the media. So anyways, back to Elizondo. However, it has come to light that similar programs took its place after the, you know, AATIP's dissolution. Um, so as the director of this program, Elizondo said that he would work with both the CIA and the Navy on, you know, all kinds of matters related to UFOs. Or at least this is the story presented by Elizondo through mainstream media outlets. Uh, but there is actually no evidence to support that he ever worked on this program or that he was a director of such a program. And I believe that there is a article that I got some of this information from, from the Intercept of all places, that was actually pretty decent as far as this goes. But anyways, Pentagon spokesperson Christopher Sherwood said that AATIP existed, but would also say that Mr. Elizondo had no responsibilities with regards to the AATIP program while he worked in the Office of Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence up until the time he resigned effectively in 2017. And so... 
That is what a Pentagon spokesperson had to say. And DeLong would directly contradict this statement when speaking with UFO researcher John Greenwald. Um, so DeLong would say, The program was initially run out of the Defense Intelligence Agency, but when Lou took it over in 2010 as director, he ran it out of the Office for the Secretary of Defense, went under the Under Secretary of Defense for Intelligence. Hope that clarifies. And so, you know, we have this Pentagon spokesperson and Tom DeLong saying two completely different stories. So really, the only evidence that could be used to support Elizondo ever heading this project was a different Pentagon spokesperson, a spokeswoman, Dana White, who said that Elizondo had worked as the program's director. But White had to resign due to misconduct. And, you know... I don't know. Who believes Pentagon spokespeople to begin with? I sure don't. Um, Brian Bender, the defense editor of Politico, who also appeared in the show Unidentified, said, If you're trying to come up with an A-team of former high-level government officials who would come forward on this issue, you really can't think of a better team. Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, these guys still have security clearances, still have networks in Washington, still are in the business, if you will. And so Elizondo would confirm to Keith Clore of The Intercept that he was working as a government contractor after his resignation. So, you know, he supposedly resigns due to what he views to be a cover-up of all this UFO shit. And, uh, but, you know, he's still working as a government contractor. And so he told Keith Clore of The Intercept, um, this is Keith Clore writing, Elizondo confirmed to me earlier this year that he is in fact working as a government contractor, but it's not what you think, Elizondo said. So I don't know. There's not really any good evidence to suggest that Elizondo is the real deal when it comes to all of this. But he would be important in, you know, going on to all different kinds of media outlets and talking about, you know, disclosure, you know, UFOs, all of this stuff. So now let's just kind of go back. We have talked a bit about some of these people who are involved with To The Stars Academy. And if you look at their current advisory board... There are some more people who we haven't mentioned. Um, there's Dr. Paul Rapp, who's a professor of military and emergency medicine at Unif Uniformed Services University and a director of the Traumatic Injury Research Program. And honors include a CIA Certificate of Commendation for Significant Contributions to the Mission of the Office of Research Development. Um, there is Dr. Adele Gilpin, who was uh, involved with John Hopkins, Bloomberg School of Public Health, and, you know, the University of Maryland School of Medicine and Medical College of, yeah, I don't know. There's her. Um, there's Dr. Norman Kahn, who is a former CIA counter-biological weapons program uh, guy and he spent 30 years at the CIA and 12 years in the CIA's counter biological weapons program and he is a US government national security consultant and some more people on the current advisory board there's Hal Putoff who we have already talked about in depth 
Um, there is Chris Herndon, who is the former deputy assistant to the president and a director of White House Information Technology, and Joe Sherman, an AI expert uh, who provided software engineering services for NASA, the White Sands Missile Testing Facility, and the Johnson Space Center. So now we have covered a lot of the people who are involved with To The Stars Academy. So let's just talk a little bit more about, you know, To The Stars Academy and, uh, you know, just kind of their history as far as so-called disclosures uh, of, you know, UFO videos and stuff is concerned. And then we will wrap the episode up. So in December of 2017, To the Stars Academy would release military footage of two white ovals moving at fast rates in an erratic manner, and it is observed by two Navy pilots. And a lot of you guys have probably seen this video. It the To the Stars Academy released this at the same time that the New York Times released it, and the New York Times in their article about it, they have testimony from one of these pilots. And in October of 2019, the Navy would acknowledge the ovals in the video as unidentified aerial phenomenon. And in April of 2020, the videos were officially declassified and released by the Pentagon. And DeLong would say on Twitter, With today's events and articles on my and to the Stars Academy's efforts to get the U.S. government to start the grand conversation, I want to thank every shareholder at To the Stars Academy for believing in us. Next, we plan on pursuing the technology, finding more answers, and telling the stories. And so, yeah, some of you guys maybe have seen this video. It was going all around social media. Uh, People from To The Stars Academy were going all over the news. I think one of them like went on Tucker Carlson or something like that, you know, talking about UFOs and all this. It was all over the place at the time. But if you actually watched the video, I don't know. There's something about the dialogue between these pilots that like almost seems a little bit scripted to me. I mean, I have no evidence to say that it's like all hoax or that there's, you know, nothing legitimate to me. But I don't know. There's something that's a little bit fishy to me about it and uh but it was a big deal at the time it was making the rounds if you will so in october of 2018 when that rolled around there was an sec filing that showed to the stars academy operating at more than a 37 million dollar deficit and an article entitled all the dumb things by um ars technica would say of the state of affairs Put another way, after a year of fundraising, Tom DeLong's alien business has raised just over $1 million in outside funding. The company has racked up a $37.4 million deficit, however, largely from a stock incentive plan for its employees. The financial filing states that To The Stars intends to remain in business over the next 12 months by selling additional stock. Their website says that they accept credit cards if you're so inclined to help keep their effort afloat. And so, you know, we kind of have some weird stock things going um, into keeping the company afloat. And so now we will jump into October of 2019, so a year after this SEC filing. And to the Stars Academy and the Army's Combat Capabilities Development Command would work together on developing active camouflage, beamed energy propulsion, and quantum communication on military vehicles. And in the contract we read, 
Government shall perform assessments, testing, and characterization of collaborator-provided technologies. The government is interested in a variety of the collaborator's technologies, such as, but not limited to, inertial mass reduction, mechanical structural metamaterials, electromagnetic metamaterial waveguides, quantum physics, quantum communications, and beamed energy propulsion. The contract also states, to the STARS Academy of Arts and Sciences is a company with material and technology innovations that offer capability advancements for Army ground vehicles. These technology innovations have been acquired, designed, or produced by To The Stars Academies, leveraging advancements in metamaterials and quantum physics to push performance gains. And this contract also states, the collaborators will share their discoveries with the Army, who will use government laboratories and resources to characterize the technologies and find applications on ground vehicles. So that is certainly very interesting. And Tom DeLong's sister, who works with To The Stars Academies, would say of the project that they are trying to accelerate their, you know, research and development with strategic partnerships, both public and private. And some of you may have noticed that in the contract quotations that I just read, the phrase metamaterials shows up a number of times, which could possibly refer to exotic materials that to the stars academies acclaims comes from a ufo that's right they are claiming that they have you know material from a ufo and sec filings revealed that the company paid thirty five thousand dollars for these materials and in the filing uh, ttsa is listed as the buyer and tom delong is listed as the seller and the materials are described as micron-layered bismuth magnesium zinc metal, six pieces of bismuth magnesium zinc metal, one piece of aluminum that TTSA physicist Hal Putoff already had in his possession that is currently on loan from seller, and one round black and silver metal flake that physicist Putoff already had in his possession currently on loan from seller. And so, also in this agreement, it says, One binder archive containing records, documents, correspondence, analyses, tests, and test results relating to or referring to the metal pieces or evidence or supporting the ownership and rights of seller relating thereto. So, Hal Putoff would tell Motherboard, a outlet, a outlet of Vice Media, that he was in possession of the materials. And a July press release from To The Stars Academy would say, The ownership of these assets, which were previously retained and studied by investigative journalist Linda Moulton Howe, and are reported to have come from an advanced aerospace vehicle of unknown origin, allows TTSA to conduct rigorous scientific evaluations to determine its function and applications. And so there's kind of just this whole weird chain of evidence for these uh, exotic materials. And how received these from none other than the deceased coast-to-coast host, Art Bell, who had received these materials from an anonymous source. So there's really no way to know where they come from or if they indeed do come from a UFO. But certainly just kind of a, a weird story in the To The Stars Academy uh, narrative uh, a narrative that is filled with all kinds of weird stories and rabbit holes to dive down. And uh, 
Yeah, in March of 2019, DeLong announced that he and men from To The Stars Academy would be involved in the History Channel TV series that I already talked about a little bit, Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigation. And the show would end up having two separate seasons, and DeLong would serve as the executive producer of the show, and the series mostly follows Louis Elizondo and the heir of a banking dynasty and you know, CIA guy, Christopher Mellon. So anyways, that is, I think, where we will probably leave off for today. But we have much more to get into. We have mentioned Peter Lavenda, but we haven't really talked at all about who he is. Um, for those of you who want a deep dive, you know, currently out there, you can join Program to Chill's Patreon. I'm a patron of jimmy and uh, they have a really good episode just recently about peter lavenda and uh, that ties in very well with this episode but we will talk about peter lavenda we will talk about some of the occult aspects to this whole tom delong narrative and we will also just dive into some other people who are kind of associated with uh to the Stars Academy, specifically the Secret Machines book series of Tom DeLonge and Peter Lavenda. And there's just a whole lot of interesting ground that we have left to cover. So if you want to hear about Jacques Vallée, um, if you want to hear about another CIA SRI guy, um, we'll be talking about that. And we will also just be kind of doing an overview of the Secret Machines book series of Tom DeLonge and Peter Lavenda. And then we will ask the big question, which is, what the hell is going on with To The Stars Academy? Because there is certainly a lot of interesting conclusions that one could possibly draw, and we will see if any of this evidence that has been presented in this episode and that we will present in the next episode uh, can help us draw any conclusions and we will wrap it up and yes ask the big question is this the real deal can we trust to the stars academy is this some sort of psyop could this possibly be something to cover up you know a bigger story about you know uh, advanced government technologies and stuff and it's just trying to yeah shit coat people who are interested in whether there is advanced government tech and it's much easier for all these government officials to go yep it is uh it is the you know aliens who are doing it don't look at us it's the aliens but anyways hopefully you guys enjoyed this I thought that this would be a fun subject to talk about as somebody who, embarrassingly enough, used to be a big Blink-182 fan as a young man. And so, yeah, I just thought it'd be interesting because I used to listen to Blink-182, skateboard with my friends, uh, I don't know, get all riled up on Blink-182 songs and then go to the park as like a 15-year-old and we'd take trash cans and push them um, from the top of hills and watch them tumble down just mischief um so <laughs> tom DeLong was you know a part of my life used to be someone who i wouldn't ever say that i looked up to but definitely uh 
influenced me in some sort of way. So it's very interesting subject to talk about. But anyways, that's it for this episode. We will wrap up next time. And yeah, so stick around so that way you can hear about the occult aspect of everything. And we will bring up everything from the process church to the satanic church, Jacques Follet, um, some more about SRI, Whitley Strieber, and how that kind of relates to the story of, uh, you know, Jack Sarfati, who we already talked about, and how all of this stuff relates on some level to the to the stars academy story so hopefully you guys enjoyed this hopefully it wasn't too scatterbrained i knew that i threw a lot of names and connections at you but there was really no way to cover the story without doing that so hopefully it didn't suck too bad if you made it this far um you probably got something out of the episode so anyways y'all take care keep it cool and uh I don't know. If you get abducted by aliens, maybe you've been experimented on by MK Ultra scientists. I don't know. Anyhow, take care, fellas and ladies. Everybody's gone, and you've been there for